Missions. One of the most important tasks that the Christian has is ensuring that the gospel of Jesus Christ gets out to all the world, to all that can hear. As Kenyon Ridge prepares to give for missions, listen in as Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches from the Word of God how to give to missions. As we come to John chapter 4, the um, events that are surrounding this are, are rather fun and exciting. It's kind of a, if you will, a, a new day. Uh, Jesus has just come on the scene. Uh, there's not been, uh, and there was not at this time, any uh, real arguing that was going on. Jesus had performed in John chapter 3 the feast at the wedding, or the, the miracle at the wedding, and, and turning the water into the wine. And, and, it, and by the way, it wasn't alcoholic wine, just want to say that. I just wrote a book on that. You can find it in our bookstore later. Um, but it was, uh, it was uh, really quite exciting to see all the things that were transpiring in this early time. But at this stage, this chapter four, this is the fun stage. This is the early stage. This is when things are great. I mean, literally, when things are great. Everybody wants to be around Jesus. Everywhere he went, if you will, it was a sellout crowd. He didn't sell tickets, but you get the idea. Everywhere he went, people were thronging to him. They had heard that this man had turned water into wine. They had heard who he was and what was going on. And man, they were, they were pumped at who he was, and they wanted to be around just the early stage of his ministry. Matter of fact, the end of chapter 4 which we'll look at in just a second. We'll look at the beginning, not the end. But the end of chapter 4, he heals somebody. And the Bible says this, that was his second miracle. First miracle, they just couldn't wait to be around him. Second miracle, they still couldn't wait to be around him. This was the time to be a Jesus follower. This was a time of joy and celebration and everybody loves us and the, the crowd is for us and nobody is against us. And we've got modern day leadership terminology. We've got great momentum and things are just moving and it's, it's awesome to see what's happening in chapter four. Well, with all of that in mind, we understand something rather clearly. And what we understand clearly is that Jesus is going to teach his disciples and us a wonderful truth. Look at with me in chapter 4. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. Now, this is, there's a northern region and a southern region. Jesus is in Judea. He's heading north into Galilee. He's leaving Judea and he's going into Galilee. Verse number four, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, jo Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about 
the sixth hour. This passage of scripture is very missional in its, in its uh, object and in its goal. And we see in this passage of scripture, Christ's heart or Jesus's heart for missions. We understand that Jesus has a tremendous and, and great heart for missions. And we are moved by that. And we are impressed by the heart that our Lord has for missions. And I want you to notice in verse number four, that Jesus went to a place no one thought he should go. Jesus went to a place no one thought he should go. Verse number four, he must needs go through Samaria. That does not mean that physically he had to go through Samaria, but that he had to go because he was on his way to a meeting that was in Samaria. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, if he's going uh, from the south in Judea to the north into Galilee and Samaria is in between the two, doesn't he then have to go through Samaria? Well, normally you would be right, but because of the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, the Jews had built a, a road on the outside of Samaria so that no Jew would ever have to go through Samaria. Now, it's a much longer road. But everybody who was a Jew, by and large, would take that road because they deeply hated the Samaritans. Well, why would they hate the Samaritans? Well, in 720 BC, and this story is told in 2 Kings chapter 17, the Assyrian kingdom north of Israel, kind of modern-day Syria, don't get Syria and the Assyrians mixed up, but their um, inhabitants or, or the, the heritage of the Assyrians, the Assyrians attacked Israel. And they took most of Israel captive and most of what was then and regionally called Samaria. It was originally the land that Israel gave to Joseph in the two tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. It was called Joseph's Inheritance. It was often called the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim. It was that same region that was there. Joseph had given that land to them. It was their promised land. But because of their disobedience to the Lord and not following the scripture, uh, the scripture says that the Assyrians came in 2 Kings 17 and they took captive the inhabitants of the land. And when they took them captive, they took them back to Assyria and they were servants and slaves and all the tragedy that goes on in that. But they left some Jews there to care for the land and to care for the fields and to care for the, the farming necessities that would go on and, and to be house servants and slaves and very difficult time. Well, over a process of time, the Jews that remained, that were left there, began to intermarry with the Assyrians. The offspring of that Assyrian and Jewish marriage became known as Samaritans. And they were known that for hundreds of years. Well, by the time of Christ, it, the word Samaritan meant anybody who was half Jew and half Gentile. They were both Jew and Gentile. They, they, were, they were Jew, they were Gentile, and they believed something rather important. They believed that they were the true keepers of the Torah, now, that might not mean a lot to you, but it was like this. They were saying this. We are the true keepers of the Torah. We are the true followers of God. And you Jews are wrong and you Jews aren't. So it caused a tremendous amount of tension. They, the Samaritans, believed that the temple in Jerusalem and the Jewish priesthood were completely illegitimate. They believed that they were completely, listen to those words, illegitimate. Well, the Jews were passionate worshipers of God. 
God. They believed that they were the rightful heir to the, to the kingdom of God. They believed they were the ones that were holding true to the word of God. They believed that they were the ones who were chosen by God. And because of this racial divide, which was secondary to the religious divide, the religious divide being major, the, the, the racial divide being minor, these two groups of people absolutely hated one another. I mean, they despised one another. So you have the parable later of the Good Samaritan in the Synoptic Gospels. This Samaritan would help a Jew unfathomable. The fact that Jesus, a Jew, would go through Samaria, unfathomable, unheard of. It's, it's hard to describe the racial tension between these two groups. The, the gross racial animosity between these two groups. They, they literally would not walk across the street to, to help somebody out who was dying. They, would, they, they were grossly, horrifically racist. And Jesus, being a Jew, goes there. I mean, he went to a place no one thought he should go. He's got 12 disciples, all of them Jews who are with him. And the scripture doesn't give us insight as to what they're thinking. And I can't say for sure what they're thinking. But I would just assume if they were like the rest of the people in Israel, that their thought process was something like this. Jesus, why in the world are we going through Samaria? What are we doing here? And he just says, I've got an appointment. I need to go through Samaria. Well, why? Why? And I don't know how he shut them down. I don't know if he had to shut them down. But in my mind, he shut them down by saying, uh, I'm the master and you're the disciple. We're going through Samaria. Because this would have been so counter, completely counterculture for them. I remember when Debbie and I moved to San Diego 19 and a half years ago. No money, didn't know a single person, wasn't sure we'd ever have people come to a church that we felt God wanted us to start. And people encouraged us in many ways by saying things like this. Why would you ever move to California? Don't you know they're weird in California? I probably heard this statement, it's the land of fruits and nuts 10,000 times. Don't you know it's the land of fruits and nuts? I had so many responses, but I was asking those folks to support us financially, so I kept them all to myself. The sarcasm I have today is a product of the unkind words pastors in the Midwest said to me. That, that's sarcastic. It really isn't. I'm just born this way. It's, it's a sin of my father. They would say, don't you know that they're weird? Don't you understand how, how crazy it is out there? I had people tell me, don't you know it's a pastor's graveyard, meaning pastors come here and they never serve the Lord again. I mean, come on, don't you know? And they would, they would start blaming all of the world's problems on, on California and on San Diego. And, and, and there, was a, there, there was a group of people that just were wondering, why would you ever go to California? Why would you ever, ever go to such a place? Why would you, Jesus, and I'm not trying to equate Debbie and I to Jesus, don't get me wrong, I'm just trying to help us understand that this spirit is still alive today, that, that people are still saying, why would you go there? Well, Jesus went to a place no one 
thought he should go. Look at verse number six. Now, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey. By the way, this talks about the humanity of Christ. Jesus endured what we endured. The Bible says he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ endured what we endure. Jesus went through what we went through. Uh, The Bible says he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And because of that, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't think for a moment that Jesus doesn't understand what you're going through. Don't think for a moment that Jesus is unaware of your struggle. Don't think for a moment that Jesus doesn't feel the the disappointment or the discouragement or whatever it is. He was in all points tempted. He was human being, a 100% man, 100% God. We call it the hypostatic union, all God, all man, all the time. And he was wearied with his journey. Why? Well, he'd been walking for six hours, six long, grueling hours in the Palestinian heat, the region of Palestine, kind of like Lancaster, California. I mean, it was hot, dry, hilly, six hours. I mean, that's a long walk. And he's wearied with his journey. And he sat on a well, and it was the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. I want you to notice, secondly, firstly, not only did he go to a place no one thought he should go, he met people few thought he should meet. He met people few thought he should meet. Nobody in Jerusalem thought Jesus should ever go to Samaria. And if he went to Samaria, he should never talk to a woman. And if he went to Samaria and he talked to a woman, he should never talk to this woman. Jesus has a passionate heart for people. This is the the heart of missions that Jesus has. That's why I titled it Jesus' Heart for Missions. And the heart of missions that Jesus has is a passionate heart for all people groups. All people groups. There's not a people group that Jesus didn't die for. There's not a race that the blood of Jesus Christ can't cover your sin. There's not a country that he doesn't love. There's not an ethnic group whose sin, whose struggle, whose background is beyond the reach of the grace of Christ. No, Jesus loves all people. Now, there were people thought he shouldn't meet her, but he didn't care what they thought because he understands things from an eternal divine perspective. And he's like, yeah, you might not think I need to meet her, but I didn't ask you what you thought. I talked to my father and he so loved the world that he's given me to die for the sin of the whole world. So I need to let these folks in Samaria know what's up. And what I need to let them know is that I've come to give them life too, just like I've come to give life to the Jew. Can I help you understand something this morning? A missions giving will reveal a pure heart that has no racial bias. There's a lot of talk in the world today about reconciliation between races, and I guess there should be. But growing up a church rat, I'm just, not I guess there should be, there should be if there, if there is bias, no doubt about it. I said that incorrectly. 
But growing up in godly churches with godly pastors who loved all people everywhere and being with a group of church people who loved all people everywhere, it, it dumbfounds me that one Christian would find another Christian from a different region of the world less open or less free to receive the grace of Christ. Like, like, like they can be saved, but they can't be as saved as me. Or, or I don't think God can use them as much as God could use me. That is a racial bias that Jesus Christ is really blowing up in this text. Let me say, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that Canyon Ridge Baptist Church and all churches everywhere, if they're true churches of Christ, have absolutely no ounce of racism in them. And if they are, and you say, why are you saying it? Well, come on, it's in the text. I mean, these people hated one another for their race. It would be an improper exposition to not speak of this. There is to be no bias between people groups who are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus made, I love that old song we used to sing, uh, all are precious in his sight, red and yellow, black and white. Jesus died for all the little children and grouchy old people of the world. Yeah, the song doesn't say grouchy old people, but the older I get, the more that I realize my wife is grouchy. <laughs> I'm kidding, she's not. But there's to be no racial bias. I, I've met with people like, you, you think those people in California can get saved? No, the gospel stops at the Arizona border. Arizona, Nevada, Oregon, man, stink. We've got to export lost people so that we can import saved people. How stupid is that? How ridiculous. I don't mean stupid in a bad way, but I don't mean it in a good way. They're idiotic. That you think somebody can't know Jesus because of, because of their heritage, because of where they're from. I'm, I'm so thankful. A couple of weeks ago, our missionaries from Ethiopia uh, were here, Josh and Ruth Lovegrove and their sons. And, and man, we had a great time with this white family who's in the middle of Ethiopia. You look at the church building and you see the pictures. You know who the missionary kids are. But, you know, they don't even know there's a distinction or a difference. You talk to those boys, they're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're white Africans. Me too. That's awesome. What do you mean? And this is what it comes down to. We have a love for this people. We have a love for this country. We, we, we are Americans by birth, but we're Ethiopians by choice. There's no racial barrier. There's no racial divide. There's no racial inhibition. And that's the lesson that we learn from Jesus Christ in this text. And let me just say, as our country becomes more polarized, as our city becomes more polarized, as the media pushes a narrative of hatred and animosity between groups, it is up to the Christian church. It is up to Christians in general. It is up to you specifically to herald the call that we can all be one in Christ, that the grace of Christ reaches everybody. The amazing grace of God that we sang about is not, is not thwarted by your skin color, your country of origin, how much money you have, your background, your past, your parents, your poverty. The grace of Christ reaches everyone. You should clap. Not only did he meet people few thought he should meet, I want you to know he talked to people no one thought he should talk to. You can meet people without caring about them. I mean, come on, don't we do that all the time? 
I, I don't mean even in a negative way. Sometimes just human limitation prevents us from really getting to know folks. I mean, I meet people everywhere I go. I try to invite people to church everywhere that I go. But, but really, the, the inability and, and the humanity that I have and, and the, the lack of just, just energy that I have, I can't really, honestly, I can't give the same attention to every person that I've given to everyone else. There's, there's a measure, if you will, there's a measure of, of struggle that we have in trying to, to reach people and trying to help people and trying to, to, to reach out to folks. And so as we look at this text of scripture, we understand that we, we all can't have the same impact with everyone that we should have. And so Jesus is here and he meets this woman and it's one thing to meet her like, hey, what's up? It's one thing to meet her, but he begins to talk to her in such a way that would have offended every Jew on the planet at the time. And comes to her, he says, um, and this is just an introductory statement, verse number seven, give me to drink or uh, let down your rope and give me some water. In verse number 10, there's a dialogue in verse number eight, for the disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat and then saith the woman in verse number nine of Samaria under him, unto him, how is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. How is it that you, sir, being a Jew, would talk to me being a Samaritan? Why would you do that? There were very clear cultural delineations. Jesus was single a single man would never talk to a, another woman other than maybe a sister or his mom. I say maybe a sister, his sister or his mom. Uh, uh, a Jewish man would never talk to a Samaritan woman. They would never be alone together. Culture says that if he saw her coming by herself, that he is to get up and leave or she is to stay away till he leaves. They were never to be alone together, but she had a short period of time for her to get some water. And so she comes and they open up this, this dialogue and he asks for water. And she says, why are you asking me for water? The Jews never ask for water of the Samaritans. You have no dealing with us. Why would you care about us? Why would you even speak to me is really what she's saying. In verse number 10, and Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked him, wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living Now, living water? And this woman in verse number 11 asks a really serious question. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? I mean, this woman is asking a, listen to me, a very, very serious question. I love the fact that, that Jesus answers serious questions. I'm thankful for the reality that Jesus is very, very careful to ask serious questions. Now, there's a lot of uh, sarcastic questions of the Pharisees that he completely ignores. But make no mistake, there's never been a serious question that Jesus can't answer. And there's never been a serious question Jesus won't answer. Some people say, well, I've asked some questions you haven't answered. Well, you might ask a sarcastic question. 
But serious questions are always answered by the Lord. And he's going to answer this lady's questions. And she says, you have nothing to draw with. I mean, that's a really fair question, number one. Well, why? Because the well was 100 feet to 115 feet deep. 100 feet during the rainy season, 115 feet deep in the dry season as the aquifer would, would be used and released and, and, and water would be used in other regions. It would dip a little bit and then come back up. Whether it's 100 feet deep or 115 feet deep, if you don't have a rope and a Dixie cup, you're not getting anything to drink. And Jesus is just sitting at the well. And this woman brings a rope and some type of container to hold the the, the water in, and he says, give me to drink, and this, this whole interaction, and then she asked this question, how can you give me living water? She, she wasn't being sarcastic, she just didn't understand, and then Jesus says in verse number 13, he said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water, pointing to the well, shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, listen to this phrase, springing up into everlasting life. The water that I give him will spring into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither Come hither to draw. Really what she was saying is give me this water so I don't have to waste this time coming here to get something to drink every day. Now, if you live in America and you're thirsty, by and large, unless you live in Michigan, you just go to the tap and drink water. Well, they get that fixed in Michigan soon. But you just go to the tap and drink some water. Or you go down to CVS and you buy, uh, you know, 24 water bottles and you just start drinking water. It's not hard in our country to drink water. It's easy. We don't understand how good we have it. You go to other regions of the world and the first thing that they tell you when you land and you get with a, a national or a missionary or, or in the military or whatever, rule number one, never drink the water. And you're like, never drink the water? Never. How about brush my teeth with it? No, nope, don't brush your teeth with it. How about wash my face with it? As long as you don't sip any of it. Should I shower with it? Uh, yeah, go ahead. But understand, you better not drink any of the water. You'll be desperately sick if you do. I mean, we have a lot of good water in our country. They, they, they had to go every day to the well to get water, and, and it was a laborious event. Some, some Bible historians say that the event of getting water for the day, the, the chore of getting water for the day, could sometimes take two to three hours, depending on how big your family was. Just imagine two to three hours out of your day going to get water. This woman wasn't loved by the people of the town, so she had to go at an off time when nobody else was there in the heat of the day. It's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus is there, the seventh hour. It's about between 12 and 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It's the heat of the day. The woman is there, and she says, Sir, please give me this water that I don't ever have to come here and keep wasting my time with getting this fresh water from the aquifer. I can just use the water that we have in town that we've stored up and, and to shower or to do whatever. And I, They probably didn't shower, but you get the idea. To, to, to clean myself and I'll be fine. And Jesus is simply, she's asking this question. And from verse number 15 on, Jesus does something unparalleled. He shares the gospel everyone should hear. 
He shares the gospel everyone should hear. Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that, or in that you said you had no husband, saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Give me this living water. And Jesus, Jesus deals with this really major issue first and foremost. He deals with a sin issue first and foremost. He deals with a major sin issue. Listen to me. Jesus wasn't letting the woman off the hook. What do you mean? Well, before you can come to Christ, you have to understand he is a savior. What does he save you from? Eternity in hell. Well, why would I go to hell? Because you are a sinner and the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. There is no overcoming that. There is no removal from that. You don't get a pass on that. I don't get a pass on that. And when Jesus started to share the gospel, he shared the gospel this way. You are in sin. I mean, this is powerful. This is important. He said, you said, right, you're, you're, you're not married, but you've been married five times, and the dude you're living with now is not your husband. I mean, some folks would simply argue that Christians just need to share the love of Christ, to which I would totally agree. To, totally agree. The love of Christ does not stop at the moral failings of people. That's actually where it starts. Jesus doesn't give anyone a pass when it comes to dealing with sin issues. The woman asked, for the sake of time, we won't go into it, but the woman asked some, some very specific questions about worship. We worship in the mountains, and you worship in Jerusalem, and all of these things. And, and Jesus answers those questions. But look at verse number four. Jesus says this, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. She was essentially saying you can only worship God in the mountain. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you know, you were, God is a spirit, and you have to worship him in your heart. You have to worship him in your soul. Here's a good analogy or good parallel application. If you only worship God when you come to this church, you're missing it. You're supposed to have private worship daily with the Lord, walking day by day with the Lord, praying without ceasing, spending time with the Lord every day. This woman thought that I would just go to the mountain and worship God, which is still true. I'll go to the church or I'll go somewhere, a specific place and worship God. No, no. He said, if you're saved, the Lord is inside of you. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. He is dwelling with you. He's your comforter. He's your friend. He sticks closer than a brother. And it's imperative that you would walk with him every day. And then verse 35, now Jesus, or this woman, I got to tell you this story because it's so cool. This woman hears Jesus and, and she says unto him in verse number 25, I know that Messiah cometh. They'd heard about Christ, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus looks at her and he says this, I that speak unto thee am he. Or maybe he says it this way, I'm the one talking to you about this. That's me. I am the Christ. I've witnessed to some Muslim folks before, and they say, Jesus never said that he was the Messiah. Well, he did many places, and this is certainly one of them. I that speak unto thee am he. I that speak to thee am he. I am the Christ. And as he said that, his disciples come back in verse number 27, 
And they see that he's talking with a woman, but nobody said a word to him. Why not? Because he's Jesus. And I think he would have shut them down real quick. I kind of wish they would have said something, don't you? I would just like to see Jesus dog people, just like, you idiot. I mean, I don't know what he would have said, but it would have been so cool. I would have loved that. I could have used it with teenagers. Um, and then said it was godly. But he, he, his disciples come back. They say nothing. In verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. Here's the power of the gospel. She was consumed with getting water. But when she met Jesus, her priorities drastically changed. What do you mean? I mean, water wasn't important anymore. Pastor, what do you mean water wasn't important? I mean, water wasn't important anymore. Well, why wasn't water important anymore? Because she had met Jesus. (laughs) She'd met the Lord. And when she met the Lord, water ceased to be important well, what was important? Well, notice what was important. She left her water part and she went her way into the city and saith to the men. Why? Well, because the women didn't really like her. You say, why? I, I think we're getting into a little bit of the fact that she probably was well known for the wrong reason. I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive. But she said to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? There's a bunch of dudes in that city that ran out there because they wanted to find out what Jesus knew about them. Come see a man that told me everything that I ever did. And they went out of the city and they came to him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. And Jesus says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said his disciples, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, verse 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now notice Jesus' heart for missions. Say not ye, there are four months and then cometh harvest. They were probably... May, June time frame, somewhere around there. Late spring, early summer. Hey guys, you know harvest. Don't, don't say it's four months and then come with harvest. Notice what he says. I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white unto harvest. What does white unto harvest mean? It means that harvest is past due, that a slight breeze will come through and knock the the, the grain to the ground, the wheat to the ground. You'll never be able to get it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is is the time of harvest has come. It's very, very imperative that you understand. We we don't have much time to wait. There shouldn't be a delay. We don't have have time to, 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 to... dilly-dally, my dad would say. We don't have time to just kind of hang out. No, no. Disciples, understand this. The time to harvest is now. The will of my father is that you would harvest now. I I have a work for you to do. Verse 37. One soweth, another reapeth. I sent you to reap whereon you bestowed no labor. One man labored and you are entered into his labor. And he just goes on. And as many of the Samaritans, verse number 39 of the city, believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all things that ever I did they got saved because of this woman's testimony 
He told me everything that I ever did. She just shared her testimony. I hear Christians say all the time, Pastor, I don't know how to share the gospel. I tell them all the time, is this the greatest message that you'll ever share is your own testimony. Verse number 40, so the Samaritans were come to him. They besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And notice verse number 41, and many more believed because of his own word. Now, many were saved because of the woman's testimony. She introduced them to Jesus. But many more believed because of the message of Jesus Christ. What's the message of Jesus Christ? That you're a sinner. The message of Jesus Christ, you can't work your way to heaven. You can't do enough good. You can't volunteer for enough things. You can't be a good enough sailor, marine, soldier, business person, dad, mom, student. You can't be good enough to ever earn your way to heaven. The only way that you could ever be saved, the only way that you could ever be redeemed, the only way that your soul could ever be changed is by putting your faith and trust in only Jesus. Not Jesus and your good works, not Jesus and your sacraments, not Jesus and praying to a priest, only Jesus. Not Jesus in paying your taxes, not Jesus in feeding the homeless, not Jesus in being a good wife, not Jesus in being a good husband, only Jesus. Not Jesus in taking trips to help people build water stations, not Jesus in taking trips to help people build homes, only Jesus. What's Jesus' message? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what he's communicating. That's the message. It's a powerful message. I've had the privilege, like many of you, but I've had the privilege to travel to some very difficult places. Some difficult places in Eastern Europe, Pacific Islands. But probably the most difficult places I've ever been is Southeast Asia. One of the biggest things about developing countries, and I've been to several of them, is the smell. It's the smell. If you've never smelled the smell of a developing country, we, we can't really reproduce it on a fair basis. It, it's a, I, I was thinking this week, well, why, why is there a smell there in developing countries? Well, in Cambodia, high humidity, 12 months of the year. They're in the dry season right now. It only rains like twice a week, which we're like, that's not dry. I've been there in the dry, around the dry season. It's hotter than you can imagine but it rains all the time. There's mold everywhere. If you can imagine, just everywhere you go, there's mold. Like people are like, I'm allergic to mold. N not if you move to Cambodia. You die. Um, your allergy is taken care of. There, there's factories without filters. I mean, we live in such a blessed country that we tell people who produce jobs and give us money that the smoke that comes out of your factories needs to be clean smoke. I wish somebody would have told my grandma that when she watched me. Um, okay, that would have been a hilarious joke at a family reunion because my grandma smoked like a chimney. And so, but factories without filters and then the rivers. This is one of the main rivers that runs through Phnom Penh. 
It's more like a sewer. You, you say, what do I mean it's more like a sewer? Okay, well, it is the sewer. It's just open. Now, if you look to the top left of this picture, um, you, you'll see windows and stuff. Those are, those are apartment buildings where people live. Those are the, the people that live like on the second story, they're, they're middle class folks. You see the little ones down from there, the little yellow one on the left. I mean, people live in that. <laughs> the smell there, oh my word, it's, it's, it's a cross between a nursery and a vomit clinic. I mean, it's just nasty on every level. So when I'm going to Cambodia, I think I have another picture of the sewer as well. When I'm, when I'm going to Cambodia, um, I, I, I talked to enough people that they said, Pastor, the one thing you need to do, and many of the guys in our church who've traveled, men and women of our church who've traveled, uh, said you need to be careful of the smell because if you know me, you know I'm hypersensitive to smells. Like I hate bad smells. I like nice cologne. I wear it. Why do I wear it? Because I'm afraid I might smell bad. So bad smells really, uh, they're just bad. That's why it's in the word phrase, bad smell. You smell bad. I just don't like it. It's very difficult for me to deal with bad smells. I, I have a hyper gag reflux. Like I, I could never be in the medical field. I could never be a parent again. <sighs> like people are like, oh, my baby needs his diaper changed. We'll change it. Pastor, could you help me? No. We're like, what would it take for you to change my baby's diaper? Uh, nothing. Nothing, because I'm not going to do it. What do you mean? I'll take your kid outside and hose him off. I mean, it just, it's beyond my capacity at 49 years old to do that now. I mean, I use, I changed my fair share of 12 diapers and um, two kids, six apiece. I thought it was good. Debbie argued with me on that, but I changed way more than that. But I'm just being funny. But I mean, I, I really struggle with smell. So I did a bunch of research and I said, hey, can you, can you walk me through what I need to get? And some people told me about these inhalers, these little nose inhalers you could get. And, and I bought 24 of them. Now, one will last you years. You say, why did you buy 24? Because I was fearful I would lose 23. So I bought them. I still have them. Matter of fact, I have one up in my office. I had a meeting with Bernie, so I took it with me to the meeting. Um, <laughs> Bernie's the guy that led the singing, if you're a guest. Dear friend, I'm just being funny. But um, I, I walked around Cambodia. I'm riding in tuk-tuks in Cambodia, Thailand, Laos, uh, even Okinawa. Because, I mean, it's much cleaner in Okinawa and smells really good there. But you just can't be sure. And, uh, and everywhere I went, I had this thing. And I'm putting it up my nose. And it's like 50% peppermint and 10% some, like, tea tree oil and 10% eucalyptus and, and the rest of it, uh, vodka. Um, it's not. It's probably water. I don't know. Don't drink it. And, and I just sniff this stuff all the time. Why? Because I'm super sensitive to smell. Before I took those shots at the river, I, <laughs> I took a hit off my inhaler. <laughs> Everywhere I went, I, I, I mean, I had this thing. It wasn't long before other people, we took 21 people a couple years ago, uh, 2018 I think it was, uh, to Cambodia and people started asking me if I had an extra one I, uh, and I would give it to them and then you could buy them in the stores over there. They're pretty, pretty uh, readily available and it was, it was awesome to have that and to help. I mean, you're meeting people that in some ways they hadn't, 
I'm not being rude. They just hadn't cleaned up in weeks, some months, some maybe longer than that. I saw that sewer, and I'm, we're on outreach one day with our missionary friend, and I meet this lady. We, we, are, we go on a visit, and we meet this lady. The guy on the left is Trey Williams, a former staff member with us, serving the Lord today in who we call a Baptist church in downtown Honolulu. And we go into her house. I don't speak a lick of the language, but we're with the missionary, Dave Board. And Dave begins to talk to her. Now, you saw the river that was back there, or the sewer. She lives probably 40 to 50 feet from that. Every time it rains, not an exaggeration, every time it rains, and it rains sometimes twice a day, if it's a good rain, would they probably get that twice a week? Her house will flood with everything from the sewer. Her house literally, if you were in there, you could see it. Uh, the camera, I don't think, picked it up. But you could see watermarks on the wall where the sewer just comes through and, and just, just ruins their house two to three times a week and during the rainy season. And she cleans it out, and then they start all over and cleans it out, and they start over. And, and uh, in my pocket there, in my left pocket, I got my little, little inhaler stick, and, and Dave's witnessing to her. And right next to her, right next to Trey, probably 18 inches from him. Her husband is passed out on the floor. He had gotten drunk the night before. He wasn't a believer. This one was a new believer. He wasn't a believer. He didn't know Christ at all. And as I walked into this house, I had my inhaler and I could deal with the smell of the sewer. And I could deal with the smell in the apartments. But I couldn't deal with the smell of hopelessness. There's no inhaler that can take care of the smell of hopelessness. It wasn't long after that, matter of fact, it was the next day, it was a, or, or not the next day, the day after, 48 hours from this day, Dave took us to one of the leading temples there in Cambodia. And as I sat in this temple, and I'd been to many temples in Cambodia, and Buddhism is a little bit different than Thai Buddhism. I'd sat in this temple, and we just watched person after person worship a false god that will lead them to a devil's hell. And apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter their sincerity, they are in a hopeless situation. They are, here's the Bible phrase, without hope. Well, Pastor, they're sincere. Sincere. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But sincerity does not save, only Jesus saves. The smell of hopelessness is a stench that can't ever be taken out of your nose or your life or your eyes. Hopelessness is the most discouraging thing ever. Well, Pastor, what do we do about it? Well, 15 years ago, this guy went to Cambodia, Dave and Debbie Board. Right before Dave went to Cambodia, he came to Canyon Ridge, and we were meeting over in a rec center, and at Kearney Mesa Rec, and he came to our church and he said, hey, could you guys help me and my family raise money so that we can go to Cambodia and tell people about the hope of eternal life that's in Christ alone? 
I said this a couple weeks ago. I didn't like Dave when he first came. We weren't friends at all. I didn't think we would ever be close friends. And, uh, but I felt like, and we felt like after praying about it, that he would be a great missionary and do a great work in Cambodia. And Dave went there 15 years ago, and he began to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He began to see lives changed and lives affected. By the way, I have 32 missionaries doing the same thing. He's just now a guy that I didn't like 15 years ago is now one of the closest friends that I've ever had in my entire life life. You say, why is he one of your closest friends? Well, because he wised up. And um, no, I wised up. And uh, God's just knit our hearts together in ministry and in purpose and in desire and in love for the Cambodian people and love for the people in the United States and in San Diego and to see people saved and to shed the hope of eternal life that rests in Christ alone. You say, well, pastor, what impact does that have? Well, 15 years ago, Dave led a guy that was in our church to the Lord. He wasn't in our church. He was in Cambodia. But three weeks ago, he came to our church on a Sunday night. Uh, Not even three weeks ago, two weeks ago on a Sunday night. And uh, his name is uh, Vinok Son. And his older brother, Kasal, is a leading uh, translator of Kumai in uh, Cambodia, or one of the leading ones. And Dave and he met. Now, Dave speaks the language fluently, has since he was 14 years old or 15 years old, speaking fluently. Dave and Casal struck up a friendship. Dave began to share the hope of the gospel that rests in Christ alone. Casal is from a Jom village, which means he's a Muslim Cambodian. And so you have the influence of, of Islam and Buddhism all in this village, witch doctors galore. I mean, it is a very, very spiritually depraved community, culture, very difficult. And, and that was 15 years ago. Casal got saved. His brother Vinat got saved. His other brothers accepted Christ as their savior. 15 years later, hundreds of people in this Muslim village have gotten saved. And, and today, literally, well, it was yesterday, it was Sunday, there was a celebration outside the John village. Bring that next slide up. There was a celebration here where they brought all of their village churches together because they're celebrating at this Muslim village in Cambodia. They're celebrating the building of a new building. They're celebrating together that God is doing a work. And every person you see standing there, and there's so many more that you can't see, every person you see standing there was saved through the ministry of Dave and Debbie Board. They went 15 years ago to a place without hope. And today there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people saved. And this isn't the only building that they've built. And this isn't the only group of people that they have. You could double, triple that for people that weren't able to make the trip to the John Village. Here's what I'm trying to get us to understand. Well, why would all of this happen? Because Dave went to a place that few people thought he should go. He met people that few people thought he should meet. He shared the gospel with people that few thought would ever get saved. And he has a passionate heart to to see people come to Christ. What does that mean for me? Well, if God's not called you to go, and even if he has, God's called us all to give. Why? Bring Dave and Debbie back up. So more people like Dave and Debbie can go to more countries all over the world and see people come to Christ. Well, where would my mission dollars go if I give to people like Dave and Debbie Board? You say, well, I'd like to see it. Good, stay around here. We're going together. As soon as Cambodia lets us in, we're going together. We're going to see what God's doing there.
But I could take you to Romania, in Timisoara, Romania, where the revolution in Romania started. I could take you there to uh, Tim and Debbie Tyler, and you could see what God is doing at, at uh, Timisoara Baptist Church in Timisoara, Romania, in a Bible college they have in Cluj, and you could see all that God is doing there, different people, different culture, different region of the world. I could take you across the border into Serbia, and I could show you missionaries in Serbia. I could take you across the border the other way into Hungary. I could take you across the border the other way into Croatia. We could drive down into Greece together. That would be fun. We could drive down into Greece together, and I could introduce you to missionaries on the way. We could fly over to Italy, and I could introduce you to some missionaries in Italy. We could go south into Sicily, and I could introduce you to some missionaries in Sicily. We could take a flight, go to London, and meet our friends, the Strothers up in London, who are doing a great work for the cause of Jesus Christ. We could fly up into Ireland, and I could show you amazing Trinity College, some great things there. But we can visit with some missionaries that are there in Ireland. We could fly up to Iceland, and you could see God do a great work. We could get really adventurous and fly over to Turkey and get into some house churches there and introduce you to maybe some house missionaries that are there sharing the gospel. We could get on a plane and fly to my country this year, Kyrgyzstan, and we could leave there, and then we could fly over to Korea, and I could introduce you to some lifelong friends of mine that are preaching the gospel in South Korea and impacting people in North Korea with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could leave there, and we could fly to Canada. Even Canadians need the gospel. They're nice, eh, but they still need Jesus. We'd fly to Canada and we could share the gospel with, I got great friends in Canada doing a great work in Toronto and Vancouver and Ottawa and you can meet them there. We, we, because we're in Canada, we've got to get out of there because we're all turning pasty white. So we could fly down to New Zealand and Australia and I could show you some great mission works there. We'd fly over to Fiji where we have some great missionaries there that are starting churches left and right. Guys that I went to college with in Fiji and I could show you that. By that time, we're all going to be a little tired and we got to come back to California why? Because there's work to be done here. Why? Because people need the gospel here. People need to be saved here. And then every year we could take that trip. You say, Pastor, why'd you share all that with us? Because that's the heart that Jesus has for missions. And I want to invest my life and I want to invest my future in making sure that as many people in the world get to hear the gospel as possibly can. And I probably don't need another, another video game. I probably can sacrifice a little bit, a few things so that more people can hear the gospel. And that's what missions giving is all about. The only way to cover up the smell of hopelessness is for people to hear the truth of the gospel. I like good cologne, but I like Jesus a lot more. The only way to rid the world of hopelessness is to share what the Bible calls or who the Bible calls the hope of eternal life. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, number one, thanks for coming. Number two, this message is for you in this, that you can be saved right here, right now, at this very moment. Number one. Number two, if you know Christ as your Savior today, Without a doubt, would you trust him? Or, or would you trust him? I should say it this way. Would you trust him enough to give to faith, promise, missions? We're going to have an invitation, a time of what we call contemplation, to consider the truth of the message. If you don't know Christ, come forward. We want to have somebody take the Bible and show you how heaven could be your home. If you are saved, why don't you spend some time in prayer asking God to confirm what he wants you to give, that we'd be surrendered to him. 
Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.